selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to do we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify's there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify's the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash audioboom, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash audioboom now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash audioboom. This is Blue Moon. It's the original fan-made Manchester City podcast. Coming up, we've got news and views from Cities Week. It's your club and this is your show. So, I don't know about you, but I get the impression Pep Guardiola and the Manchester City players who were at the club last season took last year's defeat to Real Madrid personally. I had the feeling that uh, all the pain that we had during one season, one year, what happened last season, was today there. So how do you make sure that Real Madrid can't do Real Madrid things in the Champions League? You make Manchester City do Manchester City things instead. Welcome to this week's Blue Moon podcast, in a week where things have probably never been better. What many feared would be a tough test at Goodison Park was passed with flying colours, helped for that by results elsewhere, and then what's probably the club's best ever performance saw them through to their second Champions League final in three seasons. With an FA Cup final place already booked, there's only so long the T-word can be ignored. With just one more win needed to secure a third successive Premier League title, we'll hear from the Athletics' Liam Toomey to fill us in on the issues at Chelsea. Spoiler alert, there's lots of them. And we'll also catch up with Brighton fan and podcaster Ryan Adsert to look ahead to the game in midweek. Plenty to discuss then, so let's get into it. I'm David Mooney, and with me for this one, I am joined by the editor of Football 365, Sarah Winterburn. Hi, Sarah. Hey, David. And City fan Sam Roscoe. Hello, Sam. Hi, mate. How are you doing? Uh, I mean, Sam, uh, first off, uh, the last time you were on, um, it was after the exit from the League Cup at the hands of Southampton. You always seem to be on after crushing defeats. I remember you being on after the Leon exit in uh, in, in the Champions League a few years ago. Uh, the last time you were on, you actually said this. Every time I do the podcast, it's a cathartic event for me. There we go. Um, so I booked you in before the Madrid game. Um, you must have been fearing the worst. I did think that. I did think that, to be honest with you. I thought, oh, no. We know what this means. I'm going to be doing the podcast on Thursday after the biggest game of City's recent history. Uh, but it's what a lovely change. This is nice, isn't got, it? Got to break the duck sometime, haven't you? <laughs> well, thank thank God um, that it's this week. My voice is just about coming back after uh, all the celebrating and, and screaming and shouting and yeah, just fantastic. Really, really surreal, to be honest. It's not really sunk in. 
Um, I was incredibly nervous before the game. I bumped into our good friend Richard Burns and his dad before uh, outside the stadium, and they did help to um, to settle some of the nausea that had set in. But um, yeah, it just sensational, wasn't it? And again, it's just not set in how close things are now to this being the T word, the T word, and it, it's really cliche, but it's one of those those sort of out-of-body experiences at the minute that I'm having where you think when I need to like really fully appreciate every single second at the moment because if if it goes the way that we all want it to go in years to come this will these moments will be remembered forever yeah Sarah I've, I've always said um and I, I guess this kind of crosses football it's not it's not a specific uh, city thing um, and it kind of speaks into Sam's nerves and my nerves ahead of the game um, on Wednesday night. Um, I've always said I like winning things. The winning of them can be a bit difficult sometimes. Yeah, I think uh, as a Huddersfield Town fan, I don't quite have the the same feelings that you guys do uh, <laughs> approaching such a big games. But I mean, I must say, yesterday people kept saying to me, "Do you think they'll do it?" and and you kind of your your logical brain is going well. Yes, of course they're the best best team in Europe. I mean, why wouldn't they? And the other bit of your brain's going Real Madrid, though, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, and, and that kind of sums it up. And and even at two 0 you kind of because of what happened last year, you're thinking this. You know, if 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 they score, then it's with them, isn't it? It's momentum and all those. You know, everything like that comes into your brain, but. It just turns out that Man City are the best team in Europe and, and they just absolutely strolled through it. I saw a tweet at 2-0 uh, that said, um, Madrid have got City exactly where they want them. And that, that, see, that just kind of sums up the, the attitude that Madrid have in that competition. They they do weird things. I don't understand how it happens. Uh, Sarah, in all honesty, though, looking as a neutral into that game, um, I, as a City fan, am struggling to, to think of a better 90-minute performance from City than that. Uh, what was it like to watch as as kind of someone with no investment in the game? Uh, not quite no investment. I've got a stepdaughter who's absolutely mental City fan, so she was ah. screaming. <laughs> at one point, at one point, my wife ran in thinking she'd you know died basically. <laughs> um, but yeah, from a, from from a, a sort of half outsider's point of view, I, I absolutely agree with you. I think if you if you take into account the opposition, we've all seen City tear teams apart before. And, um, you know, that, that usually comes with caveats, doesn't it? But this was a Real Madrid side who, however people want to paint it, that this is not the greatest Man- Real Madrid side ever, it's at the end of an era, etc., etc. If you look at the quality of that opposition and that lineup, to have done that to that team was extraordinary to watch. It wasn't even that Real Madrid didn't lay a glove on them. They didn't even put their gloves on. It yeah. was over before it began it, you know the first 10 minutes you kind of thought oh wow this if they keep this up and Real Madrid did not know what what to do with it and towards the end just you know Carlo Ancelotti never known as the most tactical manager anyway was just resorting to sort of you know your Sunday football tactics of throw on everybody that you can think of doesn't matter about the about the formation doesn't matter about the plan doesn't matter about patterns just just wang them all on and hope something happens. And it never did. And that's exactly as it should have been because they absolutely didn't deserve anything from that. And City deserved everything because that was a complete performance. 
Yeah. Sam, what do you think made it come together so well in this one moment? Because we're, we're talking, I mean, it's not long ago we were talking about City's struggles in the Champions League and, you know, the, the, these big nights they find problematic. Um, if you were to tell me that one of those teams had 14 Champions Leagues or European Cups and had all the experience, it, w- it would have been City if you, if you didn't know it was Real Madrid, wouldn't it? Yeah, I think um, one thing for me that's really... I, look, I'll be totally honest. At the, at the about two months ago, I did not see City putting eleven Premier League wins together. I didn't see that level of performance that we witnessed against Real Madrid any anywhere near. Really, it was very inconsistent. I think um, they hadn't put a run of four wins together in the Premier League for a long time. Let alone this this unbelievable stretch that they've been on um, at the minute, which is is why they're in the position that they are now. I think the biggest thing for me is 60 minutes before kickoff when that team sheet is announced, you know exactly what it's going to be because I think we know now what City's best 11 is at the moment um, and they're playing out the skin, aren't they? Um, The system works. Um, John Stones has been fantastic. Kyle Walker's come back in in the the past sort of six weeks and has has been um, absolutely fantastic despite the the sort of public criticism that, that Guardiola put on him. It's it, fantastic man management, you could argue, um, to sort of put it on him like that. And he's responded really well. Ilkay Gundogan um, is just playing off, ha- off Erling Haaland so well. Like Haaland is occupying a lot of defenders and they've got a lot to think about. And that's just giving Gundogan so much free room Likewise with with De Bruyne. Um, I think what really impressed me against Real Madrid was how Manchester City exploited Real Madrid's left-hand side. Camavinga was excellent in that makeshift left-back role in the first leg. However, he was massively exposed when he he drifted into the centre. Vinicius, for the um, incredible talent that he is, wasn't getting back as as often and was getting caught out. There's a lot of space down their left-hand side and and City exploited that really well. And there was often a lot of two-on-ones against the likes of, of Modric and, um, you know, Camavinga would have to, to, work, to work back in, etc. Um, I think that was the interesting tactical switch from Ancelotti in, in the second half, which probably didn't come early enough for them um, when he moved um, Alaba out, out to the left, bringing Rudiger on um, and, and Camavinga off. But yeah, Bernardo Silva was was absolutely fantastic down that, that side with, with Kevin De Bruyne and, and John Stones and, and Rodri really anchoring it. I love, um, they did this a lot in the, in the first tie as well, but I love how Stones and Rodri just read each other's minds so well Mm. on the football field when one goes one stays and that was where City were getting a lot of joy the the runs from Stones or or Rodri when they were driving through the centre towards you know the the Real on on Real Madrid's goal it's creating a lot of space for for the likes of of Silva, Grealish, Gundogan, De Bruyne etc and that's where they really punished him. 
Yeah, I still get a bit nervous though when I'm uh, even though even though I know he's good on the ball and I know it's the job for him to do, I still get a bit nervous when I see it's John Stone still carrying the ball as the 18 yard lines appearing. It's just like he's he's playing centre half, lads. Can we just make sure it's a bit more normal sometimes? Um, <laughs> let's let's hear this from uh, from Guardiola because um, I'm wondering if there's kind of an unquantifiable aspect of this. We talked in the intro about um, what happened last season and the kind of feeling from that as well. Um, Guardiola said this in the uh, in the post match press conference. They play with the desire. We spoke in just before to go to the to the pitch. We spoke and said, "Do you want to play against Inter or not? Do you want to play against Inter? Yeah or no? As yourself, if you play ninety minutes thinking I want to play against Inter, you will beat Real Madrid. In the bad moments, if you want to play against Inter the Milan, you are going to win the game. And they play in that in that in that spirit that we need to do it." This is the Blue Moon Podcast. Follow us on Twitter at Blue Moon Podcast. Now, Sarah, I'm I'm far from me to suggest that uh, one team being hungrier than the other is uh, bullshit <laughs> um, because it feels like bullshit. But could that just be the unquantifiable thing? City was so scarred by last season. It was like, just don't let that happen again. I actually am going to dismiss that. I think, I think this was just a case of, I think Pep's, of course, there's an element of, of of a little bit of revenge and all that, but this was just a simply a phenomenal Man City side coached to perfection, and exactly what you were saying about you know this didn't feel like a faffy side, does it? It doesn't feel you know you weren't you weren't waiting for the lineup wondering who was going to be in it. You knew exactly who was going to be playing, and you knew exactly what mm. position they'd been playing. The last two months have been leading up to this this moment. They've been honing this 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 lineup. It's nice to think about about passion and all those sort of unfathomables and, and unmeasurables. But Every, I think everybody's when it comes passionate, to them, aren't they? That's the thing. Yeah, exactly. And, and and what we've been told many times about this Real Madrid side is is how special a Champions League is to them. There's no way anybody goes into a Champions League game with more desire than Real Madrid because it defines them, doesn't it? Absolutely defines them. I think you know this. This was like you said. Every, everything about it, everything that Sam said about the way that team is working at the moment. You know, you can remark on, uh, you know, Jack Grealish's defensive work, which, you know, it's like it's taken a while, but it's like 18 months in, he's the absolutely complete City player. You know, John Stone's using The stuff about Kyle Walker is really interesting because I I think what Pep's done there is, is just spoken about him as he would speak about any other player. You might say, oh, you know, Kevin De Bruyne has got the touch, but he hasn't got the pace. So-and-so's got the, you know... He did, he did it with De Bruyne as well, didn't he, early... Earlier in the season, yeah. that's when De Bruyne had a bit of a dip in form. You know, I think um, mm. I think he came out and said something around him then, didn't he? Yeah. So he does have that that track record, mm. and and like I said, it, it is that that man management from him that he knows gets a response. And they absolutely trust him as well. And I don't I don't think Kyle Walker will have had his back put out by that. I think he's just thought, no, come on, you know, I might not be the cleverest, but you know, look how quick I am. <laughs> you know, it's like, it's the same, you know, when you see him, absolutely killing Vinicius, you know, Vinicius for pace. He's, you know, he's 32 or whatever. This, this doesn't make any sense, really. And I think, well, Pep wasn't, Pep wasn't saying, oh, you know, Carl Walker's not the player. He, he's basically saying, you know, in the same way we talked about Calvin Phillips and his weight, th- these are the reasons these players are not are not in my team at the moment. And then, you know, deal with it. I don't, I'm not even sure it's man management or just him being sort of searingly honest yeah. about what he expects and about that p- perfect level that he expects. Uh, I suppose the, the worrying thing now, and you tell me how it feels as City fans, is if you fail now, it's 
it's it's far more painful and more embarrassing than if you failed against Real Madrid. Oh God, and yeah. I know from I know from what I'm hearing, you know, what emails we're getting and everything. Every you know, neutrals are team Inter now, and they're looking for that embarrassing fall in the final. You know, in some ways, it would have been a lot easier to lose to Real Madrid, wouldn't it? Yeah, it would. But um, I mean, City find new and bold ways to break your heart every year. So it's uh, there's uh, the, the, with the, with with all the success comes the knowledge that somewhere along the lines, City will find a way that only City can break you. So uh, so I look forward to seeing how it happens. Ed and Jacko, anyone uh, in the final? There we go. Um, uh, Sam, Sarah mentioned uh, Real Madrid's uh, kind of uh, aura in the Champions League and and what they do. This is a this is a hell of a loaded question for you to answer, and I'm sorry about this. But <laughs> are, are City getting an aura in the Champions League? I don't know if they're getting an aura in the Champions League, but I think they're just I think they're getting an aura in general. I've noticed that this season, and I think. I think there's there's a number of reasons why, but the biggest factor for me is the Erling Haaland factor. Like people come to watch Erling Haaland now at City. Didn't they score, don't though, come did to he? watch Man City. <laughs> uh, well, he he tried, didn't he? He tried um, to. I mean, I don't know what more he could have done. To be honest with you, two, three fantastic saves from from Courtois. I think the third one, the one on one. I think when I watched it back, he. He just sort of catches it with his heel. He sort of, it looks as though he's sort of struggling to get it out of his feet a little bit. But um, regardless, you know, three great saves. Um, and I, again, the Haaland thing, obviously, you know, he just scores goals, blah, blah, blah. Um, he does more than that, though, because he occupies defenders really well and he gives defenders some big questions to answer. And um, that really helps the likes of... De Bruyne, Gundogan, Grealish, Bernardo, Mares, Foden, etc., play in those pockets of space that's created when defenders are sucked into um, marking Haaland and, and focusing on him. So um, that's one that's one impact this season. Haaland um, is giving City that that aura, and you know that's the, the the game against Real Madrid was the fifteenth straight win in the competition at. The Etihad Stadium, so they're becoming a bit of a force in Europe now as well. Oh, who we were the last team to win there then? Leon must have been Leon then in 2018 or so. That's a question that That's a I don't question. quite know the answer to. Yeah, sorry, I didn't, didn't mean to stump you with that. Um, on, the next, just, yeah. on the next Blue Moon podcast quiz, maybe. <laughs> yeah, I'll, uh, I'll keep that one in the back pocket for a bit later. Um, Sarah, let's touch on some of the individual performances because uh, Sam's reeling off the names time and again on this show so far. Uh, the one I want to start with, though, is Rodri. Um, it, it, his performance, watching him in the stadium, was incredible because he was always there, available for a pass, ready to break up the pressure. Um, ready to take the ball whenever somebody was uh, was desperate to get rid of it in the in the city defensive third. But at the same time, he was always there on the edge of the Madrid box to just be that kind of wall pass for somebody else to bounce it off to get to get them in behind. It was an incredible performance. It was, but you, we're, we're past the point now where we're remotely surprised by are we? I, I think I think his he's far beyond. Anybody in that position, certainly in the Premier League and, and amongst the top five in the world, I would say at the moment, you know, people have the I don't know people have this idea of him, don't they? That he does the simple things and all that. It's not, you know, it's not that simple to play like that. 
it really isn't. And you know, I've played a lot in defensive midfield, and it's and it's exhausting. Not because not physically exhausting, but because you are constantly looking to put out fires, and then also getting the ball and and doing something with it. And he is astonishing at it. And and everything Sam said there about John Stones as well. It's it's like John Stones has been watching Rodri as he has been from behind mm. him, you know, for the last two or three years. And, and worked out how you do this, how, you know, John Stones is clearly a much more intelligent player than we've ever sort of given him credit for. We always knew he was a sort of cultured player, et cetera, et cetera, but he clearly, you know, he can play, he's played right back incredibly well and now he's playing in that in that, in that that hybrid role to midfield and defence really well. But Rodri, for me, is, is in a class of his own. He's, he's one of those, again, we always talk about these undervalued players, don't we? And I think we're getting to the point where these players aren't undervalued anymore, but Rodri for me last night again you know you, you you saw in that first leg didn't you that that um you know Modric and Cruz for however good they are just thought do you know what <laughs> we'll just step off here because there's <laughs> no point there's no point trying to compete with this you know and, and allowing them to to sort of have the ball but for me Rodri steps into any world 11 in that in that position every day of the week yeah uh, not talked about uh, De Bruyne properly yet, Sam. Um, there was a moment in the second half where he was literally doubled over with exhaustion. He'd worked that hard. Um, it was no surprise. I mean, it was a, the only surprise was that he hadn't he didn't come off earlier because he only came off on about eighty five minutes or so. Um, but he he left everything on that pitch, didn't he? Yeah, he did, um, and. That's what we've come to expect from Kevin De Bruyne, isn't it? You know, he puts he puts everything into these huge games. He's a, a match winner for Manchester City. He is a, a key key player, um, and he really gets them over the line. Obviously, was um, absolutely fantastic in in Madrid in the first leg. Brilliant goal that that levelled the the first leg, and then. Um, Last night, you know, just assist after assist after assist. Um, really, really key player for City. And yeah, he just he leaves everything out there, don't you? And, and that's what you love to see as well. You know, you, you absolutely love it when a, a player is putting every effort in where he can. And I, I do agree, he, he did look um, look like he'd, he'd done that. Um, it's funny, isn't it? Like every game, his shirt is always just absolutely ringing like wet with sweat yeah um, it's, it's, when it's, it's when his cheeks go bright red that you know right he's yeah, done it I, yeah like it, it's like a his shirt goes navy doesn't it i always think <laughs> poor kids who have to get kevin de bruyne's shirt because it, it must stink <laughs> you know? yeah he's, he's not got he's not got the color of that kind of effort has he because he immediately goes <laughs> bright red like you know, bright, bright red, sweaty, very. You know, it's, it's he can't do it smoothly, can he? It always looks absolutely shattered when he's shattered, <laughs> yeah. and he did look broken in that second half, actually. Yeah, you'd have to. I mean, if you if you if you got his, if you you know your kid got his shirt after the game, you'd have to wash that, wouldn't you? You'd have to put it in the washing machine. It'd be that. It'd be that. Um... <laughs> yeah, I tell you what, you'd, you'd stick it in the boot of the car on the way home, wouldn't you? You wouldn't, you wouldn't have it in the back. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you'll be putting it on anyway. <laughs> yeah. Selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to do we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify's there to help you grow. 
Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify's the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash audioboom, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash audioboom now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash audioboom. Get ahead of the postage rate increases this year with Stamps.com. It's like your own personal post office. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM. You can listen to the show ad-free by joining our Patreon, patreon.com forward slash blue moon podcast. Let's talk Bernardo Sarah because uh, he, oh. he scored twice. Uh, they were the headlines, but they were by far and away not the uh, not not the highlights of his game, just the work rate and the, the effort he was putting around the pitch to be everywhere again. Um like Sam said, kept finding those pockets of space. And who knew he could score with his head? He's done, it's about the 10th time he's done it now in his City career. He keeps scoring headers as, the, as someone who's like four foot six. <laughs> it's amazing, isn't it? I mean, it's, it's always, it always feels kind of counterintuitive when you see a smaller guy uh, scoring a header. But, you know, we should be used to it by now, shouldn't we? We've seen, you know, even Sterling used to score a few with his head as well, isn't it? If you're, if you're in the right place at the right time, it doesn't matter how many inches you're giving away. Uh, so to speak, um, <laughs> I, we said before, didn't we? How much space, you know? And, and the Harlan, the Harlan factor is massive here, isn't it? Because, like you say, yeah. it isn't generally always the case that he will always score goals. He won't even may not even have a meaningful touch. But if you're a centre half, you have to, you know, not only one of you, probably two of you, are occupied by him all the time. And if you're not occupied by him, you're looking where he is, which leaves leaves space for those clever players like Bernardo Silva, like Gundogan. But we saw it again. You know, it makes me laugh when you, when you see headlines about Bernardo Silva wanting, you know, desperately wanting to leave Man City. And then you see performances like that and you think, well, if he's, he's hiding it incredibly well, isn't he? Because, you know, he may well want to leave at some point, but my God, he gives everything while he's there. And I just, I love the way that he seamlessly, like we talked again about moving into that right-hand side and they really did. You know, at, at times you thought him, De Bruyne, Stones, Walker all seemed to be occupying quite, you know, that space towards the right-hand side of the midfield when Real Madrid had no idea what to do with it because they're constantly moving, constantly doing, you know. And then on the other side, you've got Grealish who kind of sticks wide a little bit. So you're creating that space in the middle again, aren't you? But yeah, Bernardo Silva and the finishing again, Phenomenal. I mean, I don't quite know. It's one of the. It's very difficult game to analyse, isn't it? Because we're basically saying they're all absolutely brilliant. <laughs> yeah, it's hard when everyone drops a ten out of ten, isn't it? It's like it's, it's <laughs> yeah. one of those like like ridiculous things. Yeah. Well, he, he was he was good as well. He was good yeah. as well. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, 
Final player to focus on, Sam, uh, is Manuel Akanji. I don't know if you heard his interviews afterwards, but he was absolutely adamant that that goal, uh, the third one, was his. Um, I'm willing. I'm willing for him to have it. it you know, it, it, it took a massive deflection. Whether or not he touched it, you know, he's, he he claims he did. That's good enough for me. Um, but ultimately, like that's that's not the highlight. The highlight is that he's a centre half, the the fifth choice centre half at the start of the season, playing at left back in a tie like this and not looking out of position. How does that work? I've been really impressed with Akanji um, in these these past couple of months. I think there was a there was a period where I felt at times he was getting into liability territory. Um but he's he's done really well. He's adapted really well. Um he looks really comfortable as well in in, in whatever system he's he's asked to play, um, whether it is out on the left or or in the centre. He he just looks really calm as well. That's the other thing. Um He's doing the simple things absolutely spot on, which is key for for a team like Manchester City, the way they play. So, yeah, he's been brilliant and um, he's, he's really stepped up. Um, and it's great because obviously Ake was a big, big um, plus down that left-hand side for the likes of Jack Grealish. I think um, Ake's really enabled Jack Grealish to to come into his own this season. And obviously with, with him being out... Why? Why is it we have such an issue with that left hand side? You know, like Ake obviously being out, but Akanji steps up, comes in, absolutely no trouble. So it's um, like, yeah, really impressive. It's like that evolution of man sort of image, isn't it? Where you go back from Neanderthal to to human, and you kind of work through all of City's left backs, and you've got like a left back, then you've got a left footed midfielder, and then you've got a left footed winger who kind of comes in there, and then it's a right footed uh, right back, and then a left footed centre half, and then you finish with a right footed centre half, and you're just kind of building as you as you go through all the uh, all the different stages. Um, Sarah, we we touched on the uh, on the T word a bit earlier on. Uh, I want to talk about it a little a little bit more now. I'm going to ask you about it because uh, then I'm not making Sam as a City fan jinx anything. Um, Guardiola was asked if he was comfortable talking about the treble after the game. Uh, this is what he said: "Let me win the first two. <laughs> Let me win the, uh, the. Listen, at the end we have the Premier League. We are close. You know, we need one one more game. And I would say when you play against." Our neighbours and the final champions against the Italian team is become so. The, the, the season is, is really, really good. It's really done already. So now we hope we have to lift it. But the pleasure, the joy, like uh, how, how much we have fun this season again and again with our people. We make happy our fans, you know, all around the world watching us. They saw a good team playing. This is the biggest compliment. Come on, it's not going to change now. But we are close and of course we're going to try. Obviously, you don't want to talk about the treble, but at what point do you have to tell the players that in their careers you, you, you might never get a better chance to, to make yeah, yeah, that's one. They know it. At what it. point do you start reminding the players of that, that they are that, that close to it? No, of course. Of course we are there. So now we can the players can think about it, can visualise it, so it's, it's normal. So all the people talk to each other, we're going to win it everything, we're going to win everything. So they had that feeling that it's normal. It's three, we are three games away. One each of the competition, we can do it. But... For me, it's more important after many years, three years in a row, so especially after the first back-to-back, doing that, you know, we are there. That is, there are a lot of work. People say how good they are, they have a squad, and yeah, that's right. But <coughs> there are a lot of work behind behind the scenes to, to achieve what, uh, or what we are achieving. 
If you enjoy the show, please give it a rating and a review wherever you get your podcasts. Is that the key point there, Sarah, that people forget the work that goes in from Guardiola and everybody else? Just because, I mean, you can't deny it. City have spent a lot of money. The squad is worth a lot of money. They've they've, they've spent an absolute ton assembling this this team of, of, of superstars. But you can't just put them together and it, and, and it all work fine. I and mean, you can't just put them together and get the, the result that City have. So do people forget what Guardiola's input in this is? I don't think forget's the right word. I think, I think willfully ignore... Um, you know, there's, you know, we we have a lot. We've had a lot of males after last night, um, basically saying, "Oh, it means nothing. It means nothing because of the money, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. It means nothing because of the charges." And you can't argue with people who have that have that um, have that um, stance. They're not going to change their minds on it. So those people aren't forgetting or or not seeing what Pep Guardiola does. They're willfully ignoring it. I think, but anybody who knows anything about football and knows how other teams have attempted to do this over the years with lots and lots of money and have not got anywhere near the kind of perfection that we're seeing from City at the moment, I think, you know, it it kind of doesn't matter, does it? But it's really interesting what Guardiola was saying there because he's trying to sort of downplay it and say, we've already, we know we've already achieved, we've already achieved, we've already achieved. But unfortunately, once you get into this position where you are odds on to win three things. You're odds on to win the whole thing. You're now getting to the point where failing on any of those fronts is is seen as exactly that, as a yeah. failure, you know, but from the outside world. And that creates this a massive pressure. So I think the only way City doesn't, don't do this is if that just becomes too big. If that, you know... Everyone wants. Everyone's desperate to, to talk about the treble. Everyone, you know that they were pushing him and pushing him about talking about the treble because obviously he's not wanted to speak back before, but now it's become too too close, too big, too you know it's right there, isn't it? So it's impossible to ignore. But that's the biggest problem that City have got in the next few weeks is the weight of that, you know that that feeling that actually as much as they might think, oh, we won three in a row, of course that that is a massive thing to win three in a row. Only uh, only four teams have done it before, and you'll know who these are, David. Yeah. <laughs> Liverpool, Man United, yeah. Arsenal and Huddersfield Town. If you want to be as good as Huddersfield Town, you've got to work for this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I did wonder when that <laughs> might come up. Yeah, so, you know, you've got to... But I can see why he sees that as, 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 a, as, as an achievement and like something that's very, very rare. It's really difficult to do it three times in a row, clearly. But unfortunately, the rest of the world is looking on and saying... Right, if you fail on any of those fronts, that's the seasons of failure. That's the problem. It's you know, it's the same thing that Arsenal have had all season. You know, it's all right arguing that you're that that that's not where you expected to be, but once you are within sight of it and then fail, then that's all. That's all anybody ever remembers, isn't it? Yeah. So I think that's the biggest weight on City in the next few weeks. Not not can they beat Man United? Of course they can beat Man United. They're a much better side than Man United. Can they beat Inter Milan? Of course they can beat Inter Milan. They're a much better side than Inter Milan. Of course they're going to win the Premier League. I think that's the that's the one that they will tick off without any problems whatsoever. They'll tick that off that week mm-hmm. this weekend, no problem. But the Man United games and the Inter Milan games are not about those games either. We can talk all day about tactics. We can talk all day about about matchups and and how teams will counter them, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. It doesn't matter. It's all about what's in City's heads now as to whether they are capable of ignoring all the outside noise and just focusing on those games as games, and that's it. 90-minute games, bish, bash, bosh, get them done. But unfortunately, you know, the T word, as you put it, is is 
is going to it's going to be what is sort of hanging over them in the next few weeks. You know what though, I actually think it, it because they're now in a position where it's it is just three games. Like they just they just have to win three games. It's so simple. It's it's the, the simplest point it can be at, and it literally is like it's too so simple. cliche. Too simple, but, if you ask me. <laughs> it's it's cliche, but it literally is game by game now. Like um, you know, they beat Chelsea. That's the Premier League done. Uh, then okay, there's Brighton and Brentford. Chance to um, freshen up a little bit, maybe get some energy back. Then it's Manchester United. Go into that game. They've got to win that game. Um, don't even think about the Champions League final because it's it's game by game. And then it's on to, to Inter. Um, it, it's, it's, yeah, it's very surreal. It's very surreal saying it's, look, it, it's, it's never been simpler now the, to, to win the treble. <laughs> Simply it's, go it's and win a treble. Three games. Yeah. <laughs> go and win three games of football and um, your names will be etched into forever glory. Yeah. Um, well, let's <laughs> let, let's turn our attention to the Premier League then. It was a 3-0 win over Everton on Sunday, followed by Arsenal's 3-0 defeat at home to Brighton. Uh, we've got the games against Chelsea and Brighton to preview shortly. But first, uh, Sam, going into Goodison, we, is it weird to say that the situation in the in the league as it was, I was more nervous about that game at Goodison Park than I was about the Madrid game last night? Well, again, it goes back to this thing of, of cliche game by game. You know, it's you forget you sort of zone out of everything else that's that's coming up, and it's this is the most important thing right now. Um, you know, you you have to prioritise, don't you? And and that's exactly what Pep Guardiola has been doing, and Manchester City have been doing. And as fans, I think we've all subconsciously felt that way as well. That look, you know, the most important thing is the next ninety minutes and getting three points from Goodison. Although the the recent record there has been very good, I think um, there's still a lot of pessimism around going to to Goodison Park. And for thirty minutes, I was a bag of nerves, um, but they 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 got through it. And in the end, you know, they they made it look pretty easy. They brushed them aside. There weren't any major issues. They um, didn't have any injuries, which was the other other good thing to take from that. I think when you know when they were got into that cruising mode in the second half. I think it was definitely like, right, game management. Now we can start to think about Real Madrid. Um, yeah. And I actually think the week before the Leeds game put them in really good stead for this this final run because get get the games done, then we can start to you know think about. Um, think about the next sort of lot of fixtures coming up. But um, yeah. but it yeah, they. Like- they ju- they just they didn't play the occasion, you know. They didn't play the the basically they didn't play the way I was feeling before the going into the game at Goodison Park, which was pretty nervous, confident, but like you know, it's it's still Strain- that pessimistic yeah, strange, strange side. Isn't it? Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. So um, so yeah, I think the the biggest compliment is how professional City have been in their performances. Maybe there's this this a potential question mark on the Leeds performance when it comes to that last little bit. But we you know, the guys spoke about that quite a lot at length on the previous podcast and we've moved on since then. So Yeah, and they've just um, been Real Madrid, who cares? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, of course, of course. But yeah, very professional performances, particularly at Goodison Park. 
Yeah. Um, Sarah, did did City's performance results, and I mean, even the quality of the goals that they scored, because Gundogan's goal was ridiculously good, mm. and then uh, Haaland's header was fantastic. The the, the free kick, again, perfect. Um, did that result and that performance, is that basically what won the game for Brighton at the Emirates? Um, I, I certainly think any glimmer of hope for Arsenal went with that, and thus... I think I think you could see the deflation in Arsenal after that, and you any any <laughs> the idea that Man City was were going to throw this away. Man City haven't haven't thrown this away before, you know. To why anybody thought that they would, I'm not sure. But I was with you. I, you know, I completely understand how you felt going into Everton game. Everton having having beaten Brighton quite comprehensively a few days before. Now you're not expecting them to do that to City, but you are thinking they're going to be a hell of a lot more resilient than they were. And again, it's almost like all that logic goes out of your brain about, well, actually, you know, this City side is so much better than this Everton side that if they just remember that, this is what will happen. And it's almost like that. It's like you're saying about this this sort of professionalism, this game-by-game game thing of just going, are we better than this team? Yes. There we go. And we've seen that from other teams at various times. You know, Jack Grealish said after the game last night, he said, we feel unstoppable. And I think that, you know, players say things like that every now and again, and they don't say it lightly because they know it comes back to bite them on the arse. You know, you, no one ever says they feel unbeatable unless they absolutely feel like there's no way they can lose a game of football mm. because you, you you don't half look stupid next time you lose. But you believed it in him and you believe it from this city side that they actually do think that they can beat anyone at the moment. And they absolutely should think that because they can. And Everton were brushed aside with, with real ease. I was listening to the radio before that game. I don't often listen to the radio before a game, but I was in a car and they they were spending quite a long time discussing what City's lineup would be and would they rest a load of players and really and anyone who's been taking notice of City knew exactly what that team would be, knew which players would be rested, knew which you know, knew that the spine would be there because this was still a game that had to be won. You know, anyone thinking that they were gonna like wheel out Calvin Phillips or wheel out, you know, Julian Alvarez without Haaland was 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 an absolute fool because this was clearly a game that had to be won. They won't rest players until, like you said, after this Chelsea game and then those Brighton and Brentford games do give a little bit of leeway, don't they, on that. Mm. But, yeah, that the performance against Everton broke Arsenal, I think, on Sunday because it was so, so simple, so, so easy. And it wasn't, like you said, it, they made things a little bit too difficult for themselves in that Leeds game, but really they should have been out of sight at half-time in that one. You can understand that little bit of, you know that little bit of shock when a when a team kind of comes back into it when you've dominated so so massively, but against Everton, you know, you knew Sean Dyche gave up at half time. He took you know he took off Dominic Calvert Lewin even though he wanted to come back on because he he thought there's no point. And you know if you've got to fight to halfway point and you're already thinking there's no point, you know you've done your job. Yeah, you've beat you've beaten the will out of them, haven't you? That's that that, that, that that's mm. the that's the next stage. You see stats pop up all the time about clubs and players, and you want to know that exact thing about City. There's an answer. Statcity.co.uk. Want to find out all of the players who played alongside club legends like David Silva, Sergio Aguero or Vincent Company? Or maybe you'd like to know which team found it hardest to score past Joe Hart. You can find out City's record in every competition, at every stadium, and under every manager. Just go to statcity.co.uk and browse away. That's statcity.co.uk.
ad-free episodes are available on Patreon. Sign up at patreon.com forward slash blue moon podcast. Well, those two results mean that City now need one more win to be champions for the third year running. That's assuming Arsenal don't lose to Nottingham Forest on Sunday. Uh, If they don't, then City's first chance for the points is at home to Chelsea. I've been speaking to the Athletics Chelsea correspondent, Liam Toomey. I started by asking, what's been going wrong at the bridge this season? How long do you want this segment to be? (laughs) (laughs) Um, Well, it's just been a, a perfect storm of a disaster, I think, in the first year of of Todd Bowley and Clear Lake Capital's ownership. Um, they they inherited problems, uh, but I think we're, we're now at the point where the mistakes they've made outweigh the mistakes they've inherited. And, and when you combine all of those things, um, you get where Chelsea are in the table and how irrelevant they've been on every front in the in the hunt for trophies this season. I know they got to the Champions League quarterfinals, but you never got the sense, as you did in 2021, that they could gain momentum and belief and and really make a run at the right time. There's just been very little cause for hope this season. Um, And I think that you can divide the two transfer... I know people like to lump the transfer spending into one big round number because that's how headlines and narratives work and I understand that but um, I think you have to divide the, the two transfer windows um, into look at, look at them in different terms I should say um, the, the first window I think they felt that they were they were trying to back Thomas Tuchel which looks even more mysterious in hindsight given how quickly they sacked him after the end of that window um, and in the second window in January they were making all of these big long-term bets on players under the age of 23 which I think a lot of them we're still waiting to see how those play out but you know what what happened in the immediate was that those those guys came into a squad that was already dysfunctional underachieving struggling to score goals um and you you bloat the squad to to 31 uh you make it practically unmanageable for Graham Potter and the season just a season that was already drifting uh completely tanked and then once Potter was sacked and Lampard came in it's completely flatlined and and you now have a situation where Chelsea are the least motivated team in the Premier League individually and collectively uh, and I don't think that's necessarily on Lampard I think it's just a a, a broader state of where Chelsea are yeah, it's been a it's it's been a strange old season in that. Um, I mean, you you look at where Chelsea are at the moment, and um, there's I, I I don't know if it's harsh to say, but there's probably no real hope of a top half finish. But there's there was never any danger of a relegation fight. Is that is that basically what's contributed to it? So, so I just look then, it's only five wins since the turn of the year. Is that what's contributed to that? Yeah, I think I think the moment top four slipped away, um, which was actually. I think a lot sooner than many people realise it was probably around the turn of the year that top four started to look unlikely just because there there were so many clubs that they had to jump and the points gap was already quite big. Um, so it, I, I think as soon as top four slipped away, the motivation began to slip and th- this group of players went into a mode where I, I actually think 
to some degree, the entire club felt like this, where the, the mindset was it's Champions League or bust. Um, and, that, and that meant that they were able to to summon something, summon enough to come back and beat Borussia Dortmund over two legs. But even that was not terribly convincing. Um, and as soon as they played a real team and Real Madrid are very much a real team, as Manchester City know as well, mm-hmm. um, they were completely outclassed. It, you know, there was there was a very easy contrast to make, I think, f- from the way Chelsea ran Real Madrid so close last year. I think they gave Madrid one of the biggest frights that they had for 60, 70 minutes at the Bernabeu where they were tactically perfect. And there was just no sense that they could, on an individual level or collectively, um, reach that that performance um, to play to play to a game plan that intelligently and and, and with that much discipline and they in the in the Premier League it I think they've they've also been a victim of the fact that I I don't think the standard of the league has ever been higher honestly Um, I I think you you look a few of the other big six clubs have got themselves back into shape of course Manchester United are pretty competent again I know they're struggling right now Arsenal have been an incredible story and had an amazing season even if they're not going to win the league. And Newcastle have risen faster than anyone could have expected. Brighton have been brilliant under Roberto De Zerbi. Um, and, and now you're at a stage where you've got Unai Emery at Aston Villa and Julian Lopetegui at, at Wolves. I think that that shows to me that the standard of coaching in this league has never been higher either. And so you can't out-talent teams. Um you, you need to be you need to be well prepared. You need to have continuity and coherence. And Chelsea have had none of those things for most of the season. What's um, what's Lampard's return done for the club, or has it done anything at all? Because it, it looks from the outside like it's been. I mean, I don't again. I don't. I don't want to pile on the, on the misery, but it, it feels like it's been a bit of a disaster. Yeah, I mean, uh, the results are what they are, and the the losing streak that they went on from the moment Lampard came in. Um. Was, was a pretty startling rebuke to the logic of appointing him in the first place where I, th- I think Bowley and Egbali hoped that just by injecting some positive energy into what had become quite a toxic situation with Graham Potter and the fans might have been enough to give them a puncher's chance against Real Madrid at least. Um, and it clearly wasn't. Uh, and, it, and I think he, he walked into a squad that was a mess for the reasons I discussed, but also had a significant bank of players who worked with him before and became quite familiar with, you know, his weaknesses as well as his strengths as a coach um, by the end of his previous stint. So I, it, it just, it never, it never worked from day one on a football level. The one way in which Lampard probably has done what the owners hoped he would do is that he has provided a a presence on the touchline that that fans will absolutely just not turn against. I, I'll, I'll clarify by saying fans in the stadium because they're online. There there has been a, a very different reaction to Lampard, but in in the stadium, no matter how bleak it's become, and it has become very bleak. Um, it's been notable that the fans have have resisted any 
any opportunity to uh, to show frustration towards him. There have been boos. The team has been booed off, but his name has been chanted. Um, and whenever he's whenever he's gone over to acknowledge the fans at the at the end of the game, you know, it's been made very clear to him by them that nothing that happens here in these few weeks could taint his legacy. And and that's understandable given what he did as a player at Chelsea and what he means to many of them. Yeah. Um, it's it, it shouldn't all be ridiculously bleak, though, because um, there's there's kind of the opportunity. You've got three games of the season left. There's kind of the opportunity to to hit the summer and then uh, kind of reboot everything. You know that, that Pochettino's coming in. So what's the, what's the future like then for Chelsea? What's next season going to look like? Honestly, I think it's a real open book. And I, I do think, looking at the positive possibilities, I do think there's a real chance of something similar to what we saw with Manchester United from last season to this season, where things looked so bad and so dysfunctional under Ralph Rangnick. Um, but there was a lot of talent in that squad. And you could see that there was a lot of talent that just didn't quite fit together and and wasn't being maximised. And then as soon as you get a competent coach in, Eric Ten Hag, um, I know he had a bit of a rough start the first few weeks of the season and the Ronaldo mess contributed to that. But um, as soon as he was empowered to make decisions and start to build a positive environment and, and really have authority within the club, I think United have become a competent team again um, and they have something to build upon. And, and there is absolutely a lot of talent. There's a lot of everything in the Chelsea squad at the moment, but there's a lot of talent. Um, And I I do think a lot of the younger players they've signed um, have real upside. We've already seen a lot of flashes from Enzo Fernandez that while he was massively, uh, massively priced, I won't say overpriced yet because I I don't know, but um, they, they certainly paid at the top of his value for him. He looks like he could be one of the best midfielders in the world for the next few years and and the hub of very competitive Chelsea teams. Mikhailo Mudrik has not shown much yet. Um, I think he's more of a project, but there are flashes of a real potentially special player in in Premier League football with his game-changing speed and skill. Um, I'm not going to go through all the players assigned, but I think there is a lot of talent to work with. I think there's a lot of... I think I think there's a lot that Mauricio Pochettino coming in um, will be excited about. There would I, I think the 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 talent in this squad is probably the main reason he's taken this job. I think he does see some real materials to work with to play his style of football. And as long as they can get the squad back down to a manageable number and and build some real togetherness and a positive energy again with a proper pre-season. I don't see why Chelsea can't be a lot better next year. Yeah, and uh, if there's one positive thing I can say about Pochettino, um, as City fans, we're brought up to hate uh, everything that Tottenham Hotspur stand for. Um, there's an old rivalry going back years and years, and he made me enjoy watching Spurs. So uh, it's, not all, uh, it's not all the end of the world. It's, it's incredible. No one likes Tottenham. I find it amazing <laughs> that, like... I, I mean, I know I've always known that that Chelsea hate Tottenham, but 
Every other London club despises Tottenham. I didn't know about the Manchester City angle of it. I don't understand what they've done to annoy everyone. It's it's very much a one-way street with City, I think. But yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's one of those things. It's one of those long-held rivalries that, that for some reason, a certain vintage of City fan just they absolutely despise Spurs and it's the way forward. Um, Liam, obviously this game um, is, uh, there's a lot riding on it from a City point of view. Um, does that make it difficult for Chelsea, do you think, at the week? Uh, I think it's always been difficult for Chelsea going to the Etihad in recent years. It, it seems to get progressively more miserable for them um, each time. And I, I've been on a lot of those trips. I did the I did the six nil under Sarri. Um, I did the one nil defeat under Conte, which was actually more bleak than the six nil uh, because of the way Chelsea played that game. And of course. They had the misfortune to draw City at pretty much the earliest opportunity in, in each of the Cups um, this season and, and City wasted no time in in, in in taking them apart. So, I, you know, I, I think the Chelsea fans who make the trip will not be expecting anything good. <laughs> I mean, Ch- Chelsea are on, I believe we discussed this on our Straight Out Common pod, their fourth best unbeaten run of the season. <laughs> so <laughs> maybe, maybe they have some form as opposed to no form at all. But I think the only hope Chelsea really have going into this game is that one way or another, Manchester City have some sort of emotional come down from the Real Madrid match. Um, and maybe there's slightly less focus there that, that will enable Chelsea to be a bit more competitive. But honestly, I don't expect a competitive game based on where these two clubs are. Well, uh, it's uh, worst worst possible uh, news for you now, Liam, is I need a score prediction for the charity bet. So um, over to you. What are you, you going to go for? <laughs> oh, I mean, it, it could be anything because, you know, I... I have had the impression from previous visits to the Etihad that, that City as a club enjoy running up the score on Chelsea when the opportunity presents itself. So um, I'm going to say 3-0 City and that might actually be conservative. This is the Blue Moon Podcast. Listen to it. Drink it in. That was Liam Toomey from The Athletic. Um Sarah, is there a world where City are champions before kickoff on Sunday? I absolutely think there's a very good chance of that. Um, I think, like I say, I think Arsenal are, are, were broken by what happened on Sunday. They've, you know, Forest looked much better. They found they found how to score goals, which they hadn't done for a while. Um, the City ground is when it's it can be bouncing, and on, a, on Saturday night it is going to be bouncing because what's forgotten in this is that Forest can can um, claim their Premier League place with a win on Saturday, pretty much barring an unlikely chain of events. So the, 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 the motivation for them is greater than Arsenal's on Saturday night. So I think there's a very good chance it's done then. Um, you know, as, as Man City fans, what do you want? I don't know. Do you want, do you want a chance to win it at home in front of your own fans or do you, or you just want it done and then have a party on Sunday? I don't know. You'd, you'd have to tell me that. What do you think, Sam? I, I'm more than happy to uh, to win it on Saturday night and then have uh, Scott Carson in goal on Sunday. <laughs> yeah, I um, look. I'm not. I'm not really bothered to be honest with you. I think um, 
I think as long as we get the job done, then then I'll be happy. Um, but I, I I take your point. I think um, it could be a, a good opportunity if the league is wrapped up on Saturday night to to give some players a rest after a, a mammoth shift on Wednesday evening. So even, even if they um, need to win against Chelsea, I don't think De Bruyne will be in the starting lineup. I think he'll still be on no, oxygen. That's very it? true. Yeah, yeah. To be to be fair as well, like the the, the situation that. We're in with the, the Premier League now. Um, I think that opportunity is going to come regardless, to be honest with you. So, um, yeah, it's, it's it's a really interesting one. I think um, Sarah makes a great point. Just the, the thing that really stuck with me after that um, Brighton spanking at the Emirates was just how deflated, distraught, shell-shocked um, Arsenal were, really. And I think... It, that was the point of realization for them that not only have has the league really slipped from their grasp now, but that they've only really got to blame themselves um, because of the positions that they were in. Um, eight points clear with nine games to go. Granted, they were being chased by, and they are being chased by a, a very strong Manchester City side, but. Um, <sighs> I was having this conversation with a, a few friends that are Arsenal fans and and they they agreed really that you know that a lot's been made about them dropping points at, at Anfield which I don't think I think in the end was a is a good point at you know a point at Anfield City didn't win yeah, there this season bite, the bite Randall for a point at Anfield every year yeah um the results against West Ham and Southampton were were criminal going into a game against Manchester City uh, and at that point it was the, the sort of writing was on the wall then. And obviously, you know, Brighton was like the last the last round in the gun for them, wasn't it, I think? Um, yeah. I think the, the, the one thing I will say, Sam, is um, I think it's important that even if I, if Arsenal win on, on uh, Saturday night, I think it's important for City to get the job done on uh, Sunday more than anything. Because if they don't, they'll end up having to lift the trophy away at Brentford. And it's what it's the one thing you want, you want it to happen in your home stadium, don't you? Yeah, definitely, and that'll be the motivation for the players. That that's exactly. I think it's a it's a great scenario to be in. Um, and I think you know we've heard a lot from from Guardiola recently about how he you know they need their people. Um, and of course, I'm sure that's a great motivation that um, they have the opportunity to celebrate with their people on Sunday. Um, Although they could be celebrating anyway, because you know Forest, like Sarah said, are in in good form at the minute. They're unbeaten in their um, last four Premier League games, so it's it's not going to be an easy game. Obviously, Forest can secure their safety, and you know the the prospect of rubbing Arsenal's nose in it and really. Um, There's a lot to be said about that in football, isn't there? Teams that's a real big motivating factor, yeah. Definitely. Definitely. Like the classic is when a team's already relegated, but they're playing another team in in the relegation zone and they have the opportunity to relegate them as well and bring them down with them. Mm. Um, I've been in that scenario, unfortunately, in a in a previous role, and it's not <laughs> it's not enjoyable when you get relegated on the last day of the season by a team that's already relegated. Um, oh, misery, misery loves company, doesn't it? So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. So um, look, it'd be great. Great if um if they lift the trophy on on Sunday and um I without sounding too forward or too big headed like I think 
the majority of us are expecting that to be the case. Yeah. Uh, well, obviously, the reason why City have the chance to uh, win the title this weekend is that Brighton won at the Emirates last Sunday. Uh, City then play Brighton the following Wednesday evening at the Amex. To find out more about their season so far, I've been speaking to Ryan Adsett from the Seagulls Social Podcast. We started by discussing whether this was Brighton's greatest ever season. Oh, yeah, definitely. I think it is already um, before we even play you, to be fair. Um, I was at Arsenal the other day. Um, <laughs> I think that's probably safe to say probably one of the best away days I've ever done. <laughs> so it, it went down well here, I'm not going to lie. <laughs> yeah, I bet it did. Uh, it's been one of those years where it's just everything's sort of worked out. Um, you know, the way everything went down, obviously, as you know, with Graham Potter and with Chelsea taking everything and then we lost Kukurea and everything like that. Leandro Trossard obviously went to Arsenal. So we've lost a lot this year and um, the way it's all sort of just worked out is almost like poetry really, isn't it? And um, yeah, definitely, definitely, definitely a case for the best of all time. Yeah. So, I mean, obviously we're, we're recording this uh, ahead of, uh, there's actually three games um, that, uh, that that we're kind of talking about here because uh, we record this ahead of City against Chelsea for, for our show. But um, uh, before, before you meet City, you travel to Newcastle and uh, you've got Southampton at home. Um, what are you hoping for this season at the moment? You, you, I mean, in terms of of a league position right now, you are really within touching distance of a European spot. So um, you you must be feeling, I, I mean, at this stage now, quietly confident. Yeah, I don't think quietly anymore. I think maybe bef- after the five one against Everton, it was quietly. Um, I think you know the way we are now. I think we only need another win maybe two wins. I think it's down to Villa, how they get on it. I think they're playing Liverpool this weekend, if I'm right in saying. So I think if Liverpool win that one, um, then it's, it's pretty much yeah, it's going to happen, I think. Um, so yes, I'd, I'd like to say that I can have the, the arrogance now of saying, yes, we should be in Europe next year. Um, but of course, it can all change. Um, but I'd, I'd imagine, based on that 3-0 against Arsenal, uh, and you know what we're like historically against bigger sides. We seem to just turn up, um, you know, against sides below us this season. It's been a big, big, big downfall. And, you know, we could even be contesting for the Champions League um, if we were, you know, getting these points against the likes of Forest, who beat us 3-1 and Everton. But more so the game against Palace, which sticks out where we had a goal wrongfully disallowed and we had to get an apology. Um, we had the uh, Tottenham game as well. We got another couple of apologies and I think we've had the most apologies from the PGMOL this season. So um, there's definitely a case to say we could even be higher. <laughs> yeah. I mean, just looking at it as well, I didn't realise uh, that you had... I mean, you've got two games in hand on Liverpool, uh, two games in hand on both mm-hmm. uh, Spurs and Villa who are, who are chasing you. So uh, you're right in the mix there. Um, in terms of the, of the football yeah. you've been playing this season as well, um, it's been incredibly entertaining to watch for somebody who's not a Brighton fan. So what's it been like as a Brighton fan? Yeah, no, it's been... I mean, we've been used to really good football, obviously. With with Graham Potter, it was very good football. Um, but I think that the Zerbi's just changed it that little bit more. He's got a style that's very unique, as you know, very merited by Pep Guardiola and, and many others. Um, but, you know, and I know that Pep loves a good little big up, doesn't he? But um, yeah, he's he's played this sort of you know, from the back and really, really risky play passing through the lines, as everybody knows. And the double pivot with Casado and McAllister has become so, um, you know, well-documented now across the whole of the Premier League. Um, but the football itself, just to watch us purely on the eye test and taking it away from the sort of, um, you know, stats-based stuff, it's it's 
it's pretty incredible to watch. I mean, you know, we, one minute everyone's sort of saying, get rid of it, get rid of it. And, and they're on the edge of their seats thinking we're going to concede. And approximately 25 seconds later, everyone's clapping, saying that is fantastic. And it seems to be a massive theme of this season. And um, it's full credit to Deserby how he's taken on this challenge, because as we say, we've lost so much. And to make it better and uh, better in front of goal, the mentality is better. Um, you know, we, we're not going to places... You know, not so much thinking we're going to lose, but more so thinking, you know, if we go one nil down, we have to then score two rather than thinking, yeah, but we will outscore you. And I think it's a different mentality of becoming that bigger club, I suppose. Selling a little or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing. However you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to do we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify's there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify's the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash audioboom, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash audioboom now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash audioboom. The Blue Moon Podcast. If City won't let you down on the pitch, let us let you down off it instead. Just in terms of, of Deserby as well, um, what were the expectations when he arrived? Because I remember um, when... When we played at the Etihad earlier in the season, uh, he was still fairly new to the job. I don't think yeah. it was his first game, but it, it was one of his first games. Um, and and you really pushed City a long way that day. In fact, like you were probably the better team, and somehow City came away with a three-one win. Um, so, what were, what was the expectation of Deserbi, and kind of has he already kind of outmatched that? Yeah, well, he's definitely yeah, he's he's, he's done wonders, right? And I think at, at the time, then I mean, I was at that City game. And um, I remember thinking, yeah, we, we deserved a lot more. And I think that's pretty much what we can say for the whole of the season, really. In every game we've been, you know, apart from the obvious in Everton and, and Forest recently, I think that we've been within touching distance of, of a win, um, even against the big boys. Um, yes, it's a, it's a, you know, it's a result at the end of the day and you can't be sort of going off. You should be winning this game because you don't get points for those. But I think it's when you're a club of our stature and you're, you're a man of deserve sort of, reputation beforehand probably wasn't as known around England and everyone was a bit, you know, shaky thinking, okay, well, you know, he's got to replace, he's got, he's got an uphill task at the beginning and trying to replace someone that was, you know, thought of as a bit of a king around here. 
And, you know, that's that's a big task in itself. I think it's, it's, it's a very unusual situation for a manager to go in where everything's great because it's borderline harder than going in when everything's bad because, yeah. you know, the expectations... You've got nothing to fix, have you? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. You've got nothing to fix, but you've got to make it better and you can't make it worse. So it, it almost makes it um, a very, very, very challenging task. And, yeah, he doesn't know the players, doesn't know the language, doesn't know... You know, if you're listening to Graham Souness, he doesn't know our game apparently. And uh, God, how wrong has he been in hindsight? But yeah, that City game particularly, you're right. We, I think it was our first few games in and we're playing this new football quickly. And it didn't take long for players to sort of buy into it. And the the way that, you know, I think the first game was against Liverpool we, at Anfield and we drew 3 all, And uh, Trossard got a hat-trick there. And it was, I think it was only the third player to ever get a hat-trick at Anfield. And it was an amazing moment for the club to be going to Anfield scoring three yes you'd like to be winning a game when you score three away from home but it is Anfield and things happen but um it was a, it was an early sign of okay we're going to be more clinical now that's for sure and that trend has, has stayed um and I, I hope I hope that it continues next season I think you know obviously we're going to lose some stuff but I, I don't think that you know we're in a situation where it can get any worse from here uh, if you know what I'm trying to say yeah I know exactly what you mean um in terms of of a style of play from Deserbi as well um I've noticed that Guardiola has borrowed from the Deserbi playbook uh in a, in a few mm. games this season uh, I know Guardiola is a is a big admirer of him and uh, and how he plays um what what's it like been uh, kind of what's the transition been like from great because Graham Potter football was, was was pretty good anyway uh, what's the transition mm. been like from from one to the other I think Potter's play was three at the back, um, overload midfield. We were very good when we had Basuma, um, Wepu. Um, and it's very unfortunate it happened to Wepu. It's, it's so horrible. And, um, you know, we had such a good midfield then. And I, I think we thought we thought it couldn't get any better. Um, and this is before probably Alex McAllister was really, you know, thought of as what he is now. It's before Moises Caicedo was really integrated. I don't think Potter used him too much until the end of last season. And, you know, it's, that's, that's mad in itself, right? Um, so when you look at now De Zerbi, it's, it's, it's a different team because he's got a, he's gotten out the fringes of the players like Mitoma, um, you know, who was thought of by Graham Potter as a left back, by the way. And now he's, you know, probably one of the best wingers in the league. It's insane as to how he's changed the narrative. Solly March didn't score, I think, in about three years or two years or something crazy. Or only had a couple of goals in a couple of years under Graham Potter. And now he's one of our top scorers and top assisters. I know he is injured, but he played left back for Graham Potter. So the change has been purely getting the best out of our attackers because that was always the trouble, wasn't it? I think it was last time I came on here, we were talking about how he plays such great football, but we don't score. Something yeah. along those lines. And, you know, that how that's changed now. We play good football when we score, but we always fail to sort of the, the teams below us, which is a really odd trend. Um, but it's, it's changed in the sense of, You've got um, almost like a how do you how would you describe it? Um, you've gotten better, but you've lost personnel. It's it's a really weird thing to try and quantify. Yeah, um, but it's it's full credit to Deserbi because you know to, to to do that is is so sort of undervalued probably by everyone. I mean, it's easy to talk about, but what must go in every single day of the week to get that that result from each player and that reaction from each player? Um, you know, it, it's it's incredible, really. Yeah, you've uh, you touched on a couple of players there. Obviously, um, the headline from outside of the club for for a lot of the season has been Alexis McAllister, especially after the World Cup. Yeah. Um, who, who are the players that that have really performed well for you in recent weeks? I know I know you mentioned Solly March as well, and he's he's unfortunately injured. But uh, but yeah. who else has been uh, has been uh, doing wonders for you? 
I'm a big fan of Levi Colwell. I really am. I do like him a lot. Um, it's a shame. Hopefully, we do get to keep hold of him, but it will be it will be a very expensive one to keep hold of. Um, Pervis Estupinian um, is a fantastic player. Uh, in my opinion, at the moment, the best left back in the league. I know that's probably a bold one, um, but I do think I, you know Alex Moreno at Vela is good and Luke Shaw is good. But to me, I, I, I wouldn't swap Purvis for anyone at the moment. I think he's played so well. He did so well at Arsenal. Inverts really nicely as well. So he practically plays as a midfielder at the best of times, and then even makes runs in from the from the middle of the pitch, making runs in behind players. I mean, who, what left back does that? Um, so he's he's been fantastic. Um, Matoma, obviously, I think he sort of goes, you know, without saying. Moises Caicedo is, is a superb player, but, you know, most importantly is, is in my opinion anyway, the sort of rock of the team at the moment is Lewis Duncan and Jason Steele. Um, they've been fantastic with the, the ball playing, the keeping the team sort of ready for, for every moment that happens. All the sequence it sort of goes through them first. And I think that that's probably been the, the most significant part of the progress recently, you know, to, to drop Sanchez at the time that he did was, you know, everyone was thinking, what are you doing? That's crazy. Uh, and then he came out and said that Steele's better than Sanchez. And everyone thought, oh my God, you know, this is Sanchez that has been starting for three years. Jason Steele was, you know, down and out at Sunderland. Um, and now Steele is probably one of our best sort of ball players and he's a goalkeeper. Uh, I mean, it's just it's just mad. Um, so yes, it's it's a squad thing, but that that core at the back that's keeping these sequences starting is sequences. Sorry, starting is is significant. Yeah, um, I'm assuming given your push for a European place and given uh, the situation that City are in, you'll be uh, more than happy to see a City win at weekend because it'd, uh, it'd <laughs> make it a dead rubber for this one uh, for City from a City point of view anyway. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'd like for you guys to do us a favour a little bit, actually, on Wednesday. I think the last time that you did win the league and came here, we beat you. Um, and that was in the COVID season, if I'm yeah. right to say. Um, so, yeah, <laughs> that'd be nice. Um, uh, yeah, it's just it's, it's funny how we've sort of ended Arsenal's title hopes, to be honest, on a pure fan perspective. It's quite funny as to how they were giving it the large at the beginning of the game. And then by the end of it, the ground's empty. Um, but I'd like to hope you do win the league now and then take the pressure off Wednesday and we can hopefully get some maximum points on the board. That'd be, that'd be great. <laughs> yeah. Well, if it's, if it's any uh, kind of guide, if City do manage to get over the line on, on Sunday or, or even before, if, uh, if Arsenal drop points ahead of them, um, the last time City played a game directly have, after having uh, won the title, Scott Carson played in goal uh, and it was a bit of a mad scene oh selection. Gosh. So uh, it could be, <laughs> it could be a mad one if, uh, if that's happened, um, which makes this next bit really difficult, right? Cause I'm going to need a score prediction from you for the, <laughs> The charity bet so uh, over to you okay oh my god we haven't even played newcastle yet at the time of recording this so it makes it it makes it very difficult because i've actually thought about it uh, i think if we get through newcastle and you win the league uh, in an imaginary scenario then i think that we could do it because i think that we'll we'll just catch you sleeping um but i think if you don't win the league on sunday you'll you'll storm us um so i'm gonna say I'm going to call it a draw to begin with. And I know that's really on the fence because I want to say we could win, but it, it's, it depends on too many variables to say that. Um, so I say I say a, a two-all because I think there's goals in the game um, because I think I think it will be more open than we think because I think that the Zerbi against Pep is, is some battle. Um, so we'll see. Email the show through our website, bluemoonpodcast.com. 
That was Ryan Adsett from the Seagulls Social. Um, Sarah, there is there is a, a little chance that City might need to get something from this if things don't go their way over the weekend. Um, it's not going to be a nice one to have to go to if you do need to get something, though, is it? Absolutely not. I think, you know, if somebody would have said, uh, you know, 18 months ago, whatever, that you would have to play Chelsea and Brighton, you wouldn't be looking at the Brighton game and going, that's the one you don't want to have to win, would you? <laughs> but such is the mess of City of Chelsea this season and the phenomenal form of Brighton and just their Brighton's ability to score, to score goals. I mean, they, they're, you know, astonishing going forward. Uh, lovely to watch. Um, but no, you don't. I, th- I think every, I think every Chelsea, every sorry, every Man City fan and every Man City player will want that done on Sunday. A, there's the thing about doing it in front of your own fans. Of course, you want to do. But B, B, there's niggles. Isn't there? As soon as as soon as you sort of you lose one, there's a little niggling doubt about what's coming next. And C, that's Brighton. And you yeah. know you could. If you, if you lose to Chelsea, I don't think you'll lose to Chelsea, but if you lost to Chelsea, then I would expect you to go and lose to Brighton as well and take it down to a, a, a ludicrously and unnecessarily last day at Brentford. Don't bring so the tone down. down. Come on. No. <laughs> no. But don't worry because you'll you'll batter Chelsea, so it's all good. Um, that, that Chelsea side managed by that manager, you've got, you know, I think this would go down as the most as the most embarrassing defeat of City's season if they lost at home to, to, to this Chelsea and that manager. Yeah. On yeah. Sunday. Um Sam, let's let's look at the positive side. Let's say City beat Chelsea or Arsenal drop points against uh, against Forest and the job's done. Um what sort of game do you expect at Brighton, given that the last time City played a game immediately after having won the title, it was that ridiculous Newcastle 4-3 where Scott Carson played in goal and Ferran Torres got a hat-trick. It's like like one of those games. Like like that that could actually be really fun, couldn't it? Yeah, I'm, I'm expecting a party on the South Coast, to be honest with you. Um, I think it'll... I think regardless, you know, if... If whatever happens on Sunday doesn't go City's way, I think it would still be uh, a really good game between two sides that have played the best, you know, some of the best football in in the league this season. Um, I've really enjoyed watching Brighton because they they know their strengths and they play to them. They know their system really well. Deserbi's come in and has has picked up the the baton from. Graham Potter and he's he's come in and he's 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 taken on the role really well and he's he's taking them further. Um obviously this is a big game for them as well. Like let's not, you know, let's not just um think it's it's all gonna be sort of um celebrations and and, and what have you. You know, Brighton are, are looking to cement that that top six spot. Um I know they've got Spurs and Spurs behind them, but they've also got Villa behind them, who are still in with a a really good chance. They're playing some really good football, um, and obviously, you know, for the Brighton fans, they're going to want to have their best ever season in in the Premier League, aren't they? So, um, I'm not expecting a an easy game by any any stretch of the means, to be honest with you. And I think it's probably going to be one of City's biggest tests, and it, that excites me though as well. You know, the the tactical battle that we're going to see and um, yeah, I'm really looking forward to to the Brighton game. To be honest with you, I mean, I'd be uh, looking forward to it a lot more if the league's wrapped up Sunday, and the pressure's not on to to get a result. I think it will be a, a much 
much more free-flowing game that way. Yeah. You only like them, though, because they're city light. That's all they are. It's just city on a budget. That's all they are. Well... I I don't know. I hope I hope that uh, there's a, there's a few players in there that may come to City on a budget as well. That would be quite nice, wouldn't it? I think, but I I don't, think, I think you might have to pay quite I, a bit for a few of those players. Yeah, they've had such a good season. There's definitely a premium. Um, interestingly, I don't know why on earth Arsenal are going for Declan Rice when um, they can get Moise Caicedo for probably a lot less money. And I think he's he's been a much better player this season. That's yeah. a one. One that's not necessarily city related, but just something of interest that I thought I'd, I'd throw into the ring. Well, the answer there is they're apparently going to go for both. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, there you go. <laughs> yeah, uh, right. It's uh, it's money way mouth time. We didn't score a win on last week's charity bet, which means that we stay on one thousand and fifteen pounds that we've raised so far for the season. William Hill is giving each of the panel a ten pound correct score single. The winnings are going to the Man City fans food bank support group. They'll be outside the Etihad collecting for the Trussell Trust and for Manchester Central Food Bank for the final time this season on Sunday. So please go and make their last collection a big one before the summer. Uh, head over with donations. They'll be under the bridge by Asda until about 3.30 ahead of kickoff. Um, we've already heard from uh, Liam. He's gone for a 3-0 City win and he even admits that is a little bit conservative. Uh, that's 7-1 to one and £70 if you're right. Sam, what are you having for uh, for Chelsea? Well, I'm, I'm going to go 3-1. I think despite um, despite Chelsea's ugh, how poor they've been recently, they have uh, been unbeaten in their last two, which um, could mean they come into this with a bit more confidence. Um, and it's I think their, it's their fourth longest unbeaten run of the season. That yeah, <laughs> there, there we go. I think as well, um, given the the nature of the game, I, I, I do think there's a there's a possibility that that City could concede. So yeah. and also, I'd, you know, yeah, put us in a good position for the for the charity bet three one. Yeah, ten to one and a hundred pounds if you're right, Sarah. Where are you thinking for this one? Uh, pretty close to that, I think four-one. I think you know, like I said, Chelsea. Are, now, but now you've said Chelsea are on this phenomenal and beaten run. I'm feeling <laughs> like I need to change it because you know. <laughs> 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 no, but four-one. I'm going to stick with that. Four-one is uh, sixteen to one and one hundred and sixty quid if you are right. Um, we heard from Ryan. He's gone for a two-all draw on the south coast. That's twelve to one and one hundred and twenty pounds. Uh, Sam, what have you got for uh, for Brighton away? Well, I did like 2-2. Um, I think it's going to be a really good game. I have opted for a City win, though, 2-1. Uh, yeah, that's largely because I did the interview before I asked you and uh, Ryan had already said 2-2, so you couldn't have it. 8-1 um, if you're right, £80 uh, there. Uh, Sarah, you have um, you sent this one without having to change. So, like, I, I mean, you're expecting a great game by the looks of things. I'm, I'm full of belief. I'm assuming that, that, that my Chelsea one is right. And thus, uh, City will have nothing to play for, uh, largely half uh, half cut, and it'll be three all. Uh, three all will bring in four hundred and fifty quid because it's forty five to one. So uh, I really so hope I, I hope that both of your predictions are right this week because uh, it's uh, it, it'll go to add in well 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 over half the kitty again in there. So uh, so it'll be good uh, good. Good bit of fundraising. Um, remember, you've got to be 18 or over to gamble. Prices can change. And for more on how to gamble responsibly, take a look at begambleaware.org. I'm uh, going to squeeze in a few uh, questions to finish. Um, get in touch on Twitter at Blue Moon Podcast. You can email through the website as well, bluemoonpodcast.com. Uh, Johnny the Bakewell Blue has been in touch on the emails to say, can we have a whip round to make sure that Ilkai doesn't go to Spain, please? Irreplaceable. Enough said. Um, Sam, can you... Can you 
understand why the Gundogan situation has got as late as it has in these contract negotiations and they're not moving heaven and earth to keep him. Um, he's certainly playing for a two-year deal, isn't he? at <laughs> the minute um I, I i don't know i think it's just you know I, I, the, it's probably something that the club and, and gundawan have said look you know let's let's pick this up at the end of the year like no no stress um from a, an outsider looking in that may seem ridiculous and like let's lock him in now sort of thing but um you know that that just may be the conversations that that the club have been having by by all accounts and all you know the the reports there's a, a one year deal on the table, um, but there's also a two year deal potentially at Barcelona for him, which um, I think is probably more appealing for him. But um, yeah, I mean, it, 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 I don't see why not. Like the form he's in at the minute, the role that he has at Manchester City, not just as captain, but in terms of on the pitch as well, um, he's a really key player at the moment, and. Um, I think he, he still could be key for two years, definitely. Yeah. Um, Sarah, do you get the impression that uh, if he was going to sign an extension, he might have done it by now? I think there is that. But I think when you when you get to 32, it is all about the length of the deal. And I think what City probably need to do is to make it, give him a straight choice between Barcelona and City. Because if you're, if you're asking him to choose between a two-year contract at Barcelona and a one-year contract at City, there's no doubt where he's going to go. So I think it's the onus is on City to match that, isn't it? Give, make him a straight choice. And, and what we, everything we know about City and Pep Guardiola is if, if he still wants to go to Barcelona, then, you know, hands up, he can go because if that's where he wants to be, that's fine. But I think at least make it a straight choice. Yeah. Uh, final question for this week comes from Pete on Twitter, who says, uh, with the potential for the FA Cup final to go to penalties and with City's recent penalty struggles, Haaland aside, I'm interested to know who you would pick for your five penalties if you were Guardiola managing a hypothetical shootout. Um, let's let's all assume here right now that Erling Haaland is going down probably as number one in the, uh, in the list. Um, who would your other four be? Uh, Sam, any ideas? Well, I now feel sick again, so um, thanks for that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, the prospect of penalties against Manchester United in the FA Cup final at Wembley is horrendous. Well, it could be against Inter in the, in the European Cup final. The Man United scenario is that David De Gea never looks like he's ever going to save a penalty. So as, as long as you keep it on target, <laughs> you basically nailed it yeah that's the that's the trouble though as well that's the other thing to add even more fuel on this fire of pessimism like it will be the one time that david <laughs> de gea does save a penalty in his life and it will in the fa cup final penalty shot against city like the oh, writing's no... on the wall already there let's just not play it we know what's going to happen there's no thinking you know? like a football fan is the goodness me <laughs> oh, um right on on to the question um erling harland Kevin De Bruyne, Ilkay Gundogan, um, Bernardo Silva, Edison. Interesting that you didn't put Mares in there. Mares is yeah, Mares for potentially Bernardo um, or Edison. Yeah. <laughs> we just all want Edison to take a penalty, don't we? To be honest. I'm mostly interested in how De Bruyne looks after 120 minutes of football. <laughs> you, think he's, you think he's still going to be on the pitch to take a penalty then? <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a good job those shirts aren't cotton anymore, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah. Sarah, what about you? I mean, I, I Sam's taken the wind out of my sails. I was going to suggest Edison as one of the takers, um, largely because I'd love to see it. But uh, is there any that uh, that he didn't mention that you might uh, that you might be considering? Phil Foden, maybe. I don't know. I was, I, that's exactly the name that came to mind. Phil Foden takes a decent penalty, doesn't he? Um, for some reason, I wouldn't trust Grealish. I think he'd just have a little silly moment and do something daft. But um, oh, he's. <laughs> John Stones, I think, as well. Just you know, yeah. just a sense, somebody mm, sensible yeah. you want. <laughs> Any of them it doesn't matter. It's not going to happen. Scott Carson. Scott Carson. Yes, I'd, I'd like to see that. You know, um, you say sensible head. though. Rodri is the most sensible head in that team, and I've seen him take one penalty. He scored, but it was the worst penalty I've ever seen. So <laughs> I'm not. I'm. I, I don't know if sensible always goes hand in hand with uh, with good penalty conversion. Who knows? Uh, right. Well, that's it for this week's Blue Moon podcast. Thank you very much for listening. Thank you also to my guests for this one, to Sam Roscoe. Always a pleasure. And Sarah Winterburn. My pleasure, mate. Don't forget, there's a bonus show every Monday for Patreon backers. There's a short clip of this week's coming up shortly season. That was the Blue Moon Podcast. Please give the show a rating and a review where you can. And don't forget, you can listen without the ads by signing up to our Patreon. You'll also get an extra episode each Monday. Here's a clip of this week's. Throughout this season, and you'll have spotted the theme, I'm always backing on our free-flowing and us having the answer up front to get us out of the situation. And again, this was one of those games where nothing's coming. They were a stubborn defence. I don't remember feeling too much pressure at the other end in in our defence, but I, I remember thinking, this isn't coming. And then the relief. It wasn't as much euphoria in terms of carnival party atmosphere. It was like a joined up <laughs> outpouring of relief really yes. wasn't it you've got uh, Aston Villa defenders strewn everywhere pouring down I can see it clear as day and then Jekyll pops up and, and gets a, a very important goal and then it was floodgates then after that the yeah, yeah, had the freedom of the pitch to go and uh, score another wonder goal like he did so many times that season do you know he took fewer touches in the, in the goal that he scored in the 93rd minute that, that ridiculous run where he picked yeah. up in his own half and ran the length of the pitch yeah. and belted it in yeah. he took fewer touches in that run than he did when he set up Stevan Jovetic uh, a few minutes earlier uh, he, took, he took about 14 touches inside the Villa box <laughs> to set up yeah, Jovetic to set that one, yeah. and then he took about 10 but from his to, own yeah, yeah. his own half he took about 10 to, to take the length of the pitch you can listen to more of that at patreon.com forward slash blue moon podcast and join us again next time for another episode. Selling a little or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing. However you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to do we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify's there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. 
Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash audioboom, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash audioboom now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash audioboom. <laughs> 